All right, let's stand together, please. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and worship you, to fellowship, to hear your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have come. We thank you that you are here, and we thank you that you're coming again. We ask, Lord, as we open your word today, you would teach us through your spirit. We ask that the children, Lord, would um, learn of you as they sing these songs, as they rehearse, that they would realize that the, uh, the season is about you. It's about who you are, what you've done for us. It's about knowing you, loving you, serving you. We pray today, Lord, as, as we uh, contemplate your supper and your great gift of salvation, that we, your people, Lord, would desire to share the good news with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So nice to have Steve Bruns close to me. Look at that. What's that? So your hearing aids aren't working today? You had to get close? <laughs> we have the three musketeers over here. Good to see you. That's too hard to say. What is this? The word. See, Justice knows me. He knows when I ask questions, there's a trick involved. The Gospel of John. He's like, no, that's too easy. It can't just be the Gospel of John. It's got to be something else. It's the word. Paul, you know what Paul says this is? Paul says this is the power of God. The power of God. Romans chapter 1. You want to read it with me? Of course you do. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. In verse 14. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, or as much as I'm able... I am ready or eager, eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Why is he eager? He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why is he not ashamed? Why is he eager? Because the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Let me say it again. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. I'm going to say it again. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. You can clap. Now, if you're a real Christian, you know that. Not just because the word says it. You know it because you've experienced it. You know it's the power of God because you've experienced the power of God because your life has been transformed by this gospel. Paul in Romans 10, go there if you would, says this. He says in verse 4, well, let's see, uh, 10, um, just start in verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them or for Israel, so he's talking about, is that they may be saved. Now notice he desires their salvation. Notice he prays for their salvation. And of course, we know that he preached to them for their salvation. Desire prayer, and preaching, right? For I bear, By the way, I read a book, a really good book on prayer by a, by a hyper-Calvinist. The book's really good, but the problem is, he says in the book, there's no prayer in the Bible for the unsaved. 
That's why I call him not a Calvinist, but a hyper-Calvinist. Here's a prayer right here. Paul says, I am praying for them. And he knows some of them aren't going to be saved. He's praying for, the, uh, for unsaved Israel. That's how, it's how theology and ideology can blind us to what's right in front of us. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, quote, The man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks in this way, quote, Do not say in your heart who, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? Amen. Jew or Greek, Jew or Gentile, any race, any tribe, any people group can be saved if they call upon the name of the Lord. But how shall they call upon him in whom they've not believed? Well, if they don't believe, they're not going to confess, right? And how will they believe in him in whom they've not heard? If they've never heard of him, they can't put their faith in him. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Well, they can't hear if someone doesn't share the gospel with them. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we need preachers if we're going to have people who believe and people who confess. How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Um, and then he says in, in verse 17, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And the word of the gospel, the word of the gospel, are you listening? Yes. Say yes. Yes. Amy, say yes. Thank you. I knew she was listening. The gospel heard produces faith. <clears throat> produces faith. How will they hear? How will they believe if they don't have the gospel preached to them? We tend to think the, that people believe or, or not believe simply based upon their disposition. But that's not actually true. That's part of it. But what the Word says is that the Word itself has power, and when the Word is preached, the preached Word, and I always preached, I don't just mean from a pulpit, I mean shared, spoken. When the Word is spoken, or the Word is read, the Word itself generates faith. It generates faith. Um, we see this in James. We're going to come back to Romans in a minute. In James, James essentially says this, if you want to turn there with me. In James 1, he says, um, in verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, 
with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth, or begot us. It's the word used for giving birth. So we refer to the new birth. He's talking about being born again here. Of his, God's own will, he, he birthed us, if you will, by the word of truth. By the word of truth. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter is speaking of the precious blood of Jesus, and he says in verse 18 of chapter 1 in 1 Peter, are you all with me? Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. We're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Talking about the incarnation of Jesus, which is what the season is about. Man, the manifestation of the Lamb. Who, verse 21, through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And then he says that we are purified our hearts through faith. And 23, notice it's having been born again, born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides, and my version says lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is grass, all the glory of man is the flower of the grass, the grass withers, its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. The word of the Lord begets faith. As the gospel is preached, people believe. People don't believe if there isn't a gospel. Now, maybe it's read, maybe it's heard in in a sermon, maybe it's in a conversation, maybe it's them remembering what they heard, but the point is, the word is the immediate object. Jesus is the ultimate object. You following me? But what we need to understand is Paul says the gospel is the power of God to salvation. The gospel has power. Do you understand it? Excuse me. By the way, you're invited to our Christmas Eve service. (laughs) The, uh, The gospel is prospering all around the world. The church is growing in Africa. Now, Africa, of course, is many nations. But in the majority of African nations where the gospel is being preached, which is many, the, the church is growing. The church is growing in the Middle East, believe it or not, in spite of persecution. Now, many Christians are fleeing, but many, many Muslims are getting saved. I've talked to Muslims who know, who have family and, and other relatives in the Middle East, and they, they will tell you the most amazing stories of how Jesus is saving Muslims in the Middle East. One of the, one of, what we must understand is, is the, uh, one, one of the, God is amazing. Amen. Amen? Let me tell you something. A lot of Christians are, are um, missing, I think, the hand of God in what he's doing. You know, ISIS is a bad thing, right? Bad, right? Cutting people's heads off, that's bad, right? 
bad thing. It's amazing how God uses the bad thing for good. Because that being the, the, the becoming the global face of Islam, many Muslims are leaving Islam because of ISIS. Because of ISIS. Because they're not only killing Christians and Jews, they're killing Muslims. And so here we have a radical Muslim group that God is using to drive Muslims to Jesus. It's true. So it, 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 it's amazing how God's working in the Middle East. The church has been growing in South America for decades. We know this. The church in China is, is um, again, for, for a long time, China is being transformed from the inside out by the gospel. Even though the government is hostile to the gospel, the, the church is flourishing there. Everywhere you look, the church is growing except America. Astounding. I shouldn't say everywhere. It's not really, the church isn't prospering in Europe. Uh, There's some some things happening. But in the the Christian West, you say, well, why? Don't we have the same gospel? Well, we do have the same gospel. But I'm not sure we have the same faith in the gospel. And I can assure you of this. The gospel not preached is a gospel that doesn't save. Or let me put it in the positive. A gospel preached is the gospel that saves. How will they hear without a preacher? How will they hear without a preacher? The rhetorical question with answers: they will not hear. People do not get saved by silence. It is the gospel that saves, not silence, not what we in our society called kindness and tolerance and acceptance and getting alongness. That doesn't save. The gospel message saves. So I I was looking for a car for my wife, and I ran into this guy at the car dealer, and he he said, uh, he worked there. He's like, so what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a... I'm a preacher. I'm one of them bad guys. So he's like, oh, really cool. And so he's actually, he was a Christian. He started telling me a story about, uh, he, he might have been, I don't know how old the guy was, late 40s, early 50s. And he was telling me a story about, he got, yeah, I got saved 11 years ago. And um, he told me about his story about how he got saved. He said, I had a neighbor. I had a neighbor who kept on talking to me about Jesus. I had a neighbor. And I didn't want to hear it. But he kept on talking to me about Jesus. I didn't want to hear it. And I put it off and I put it off and I put it off and I didn't want to hear it. And he said, you know, I had some hard times in my life. He didn't go into details. He said, you know, he said, I came home one day and I, I said to my wife, I think our neighbor's right. I need Jesus. And he got saved, and his wife got saved, and his kids got saved. Now, what if that man had not had a faithful neighbor? I, I know you Calvinists say, well, God would have saved him anyway. <laughs> well, it's a comforting thought, 
but we, we delude ourselves. God works by secondary means. Actions have consequences. The church has responsibilities. There are warnings in the Bible about having people's blood on our hands. It's real. What we do and do not do affects history and eternity. You know, how that all fits with God's sovereignty, uh, you know what, the greatest minds haven't figured it out, so I'm not going to figure it out. I know this, the Bible calls his church to witness. The Bible calls, and I believe that means each one of us. Now, I was watching YouTube the other day, and you know TV is bad when you've got to watch YouTube, because um, there's nothing to watch. No, but I was actually watching these teaching and sermon things, and there's a, a, a guy on there who was, a, a guy that I like and respect, but he was asked a question. It was, it was a Q&A kind of format, not a preaching format. And he said, he was asked, is the Great Commission, is every Christian, how was the word? It was something like this, something like, does the Great Commission mean every Christian has to witness? And he said no. Now, he made a good point, and, and, and here's the thing. He's like, you know, the, the commission is to the church, and the church is an army. And in the army, you have cooks. Cooks aren't fighting, right? In the army, you have medics. Well, they're not fighting. In the army, you know, so in other words, in an army, you've got some people on the front line, some people in the middle, some people in the back, some people, you know, but they're all contributing to the victory. All right, who's... Wait, you're pointing the finger at her, and she's pointing the finger at you. The moment of truth. Jordan? It's Jesus. You better answer. Jesus calling. Okay, I don't have any idea what I was saying. That's why our phones need to be off. What? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, his, so he made a very good point. And I, and I agree in general with the fact that the, uh, in, in, if you think of the, the church corporately, we have different roles, we have different gifts, we have different functions, and it all fulfills the Great Commission. The Great Commission isn't just about witnessing, it's about discipling, right? Um, of course, you can't disciple if you don't ever witness. So even though go is a really little word in the Great Commission, it's, it's foundational because if you don't go, you can't disciple. You have no converts to disciple, right? So he's right, and, and I agree with that. However, I think it's a matter of, um, I see evangelism like this. I see it as the same way I see prayer. I see it this I mean, some people have a gift for prayer. I mean, they're intercessors. I mean, they really are. But you don't say, well, they're intercessors, so I don't have to pray. You don't say that. Or some people have the gift of giving. Some of you here probably have a gift. Matter of fact, in light of justice exhortation, why don't you use your gift? And uh, I'm serious. Use your gift. Use your gift. I don't have that gift. Now, I tithe. By saying that, I'm not bragging, because I think tithe is a minimum thing that we ought to do. A minimum. I don't have that gift. But I don't say, I don't have the gift of giving, therefore I don't tithe. I don't say, I don't have uh, the gift of teaching, so I don't ever have to study the Bible. Or I don't have to share exhortation. We don't, we don't do that. 
about other things. So why all of a sudden do we do that about evangelism? Why do we make the special category where, the, well, well, this thing, no, you don't have to do that. Now, some people are gifted in evangelism, and they'll do it more frequently, they'll do it more successfully. And, and yes, your role might be less vocal in terms of witness, but, but the thing to understand is that, is that church, as we practice church, is a community where we build one another up in love in Jesus Christ, right? We grow in the faith, but we don't live in church all week, you know? Now, I got a good friend that has a pastor's a church in St. Charles, and, and there's a sign on their driveway as you exit, and it says you are now entering the mission field. Do you get it? You get it? Okay. So when, when we leave shortly, and I know you're hoping it's really shortly, uh, you, you are leaving and going to the mission field. Now, maybe you're just going home, and you're not stopping anywhere. So maybe, okay. Tomorrow morning, you're definitely going to the mission field. Now, you know, I used to have a secular job. I worked in the secular field for quite a while. I, even when I was in ministry, pretty much almost full-time, I was still working part-time. And, and um, I had jobs I didn't like, but I always liked the fact that I had the opportunity to share the gospel with people. And I always took advantage of it. I was, no matter where I worked, I was always sharing the gospel with someone, usually several people. I mean, it was just, it made, it, it, to me, it redeemed what I was doing, if you know what I mean. Now, there's other functions of work, I understand that. But as a young Christian, to me, it was like, this is really why I'm here. I'm here because these people don't know Christ, and I do. I have the power of God unto salvation. That's what I have. And so, back to my point about the world in America, is, is that... We have, I believe that the American church, and I know I'm a nobody and I pastor a small church in, in a town nobody's ever heard of, but uh, I believe the American church has lost faith in the gospel. Yeah. I mean the church has lost faith. Not the unbeliever. The unbeliever hasn't even had an opportunity to reject the gospel. Now, Mike was telling me the other day, he's been passing these out, although there were the other ones before the... But basically, passing out gospel Johns to people. So, so before he gives it out, Mike says to the person, have you read the gospel John? And then, he, you know, they'll answer and they'll have a little conversation. He gives them a gospel John. Now, I don't do that. I just pass them out and say, hey, the gospel John, good news. God loves you, blah, 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 whatever. He said that of... 21 people, that, now he's given it out probably more than 21 now. How many now? About 30. About 30. One on one, 30. At the time, he told me 21, he'd give out 21, and only one person had read the Gospel of John. Now, this is America, a Christianized na- nation. Do you get what I'm saying? In America, 20 out of 21. How is it now out of 30? 28 out of 30 have not read the Gospel of John. Well, those people are not rejecting the Gospel. They've never heard the Gospel. In America, we have people growing up who've never gone to church. 
People in America that do not have a Bible in their home. People in America that even if they do have a Bible in their home, they've never read the Gospel of John. We're talking adults. It's astounding. How would they believe without a preacher? And you wonder why, 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 they, why people aren't getting saved in America? Because the gospel is the power of God, and the gospel is not being shared. People are not hearing the gospel. They're not reading the gospel. And so they're not getting saved. The gospel hasn't changed. If, if the gospel can save people in Africa, the gospel can save people in America. If the gospel can save people in South America, it can save people in North America. Amen. If the gospel can save people in China, it can save people in America. Amen. Right? It's the same gospel. Now, I know some people come up with theories about how God's abandoned America because we're so decadent and all this stuff. I think that's an excuse. Because where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. In, in times of the greatest social decay, you often see the greatest revivals, right at the same time. We saw it in England with Wesley. We saw it, um, I mean, just throughout history, we've seen this pattern. Now, I'm not saying God never forsakes a nation. But why would God be forsaking America, and, and, and why would God be blessing China? I mean, think about it. They have a... a, a Enforced abortions. We have abortions. They have enforced abortions. They abort more babies in China than we do in America. They're communists. They're dictators. Why would God bless that country? God's blessing this. God's blessing the gospel is what God's blessing. He's blessing the gospel because God is honoring the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what God is doing. And if, if the church in America got serious again, as, as once we were, about sharing the faith, desiring, as Paul says, their salvation, praying for their salvation, sharing the gospel in faith with them, we would see people getting saved. I'm telling you. The, 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 the loss of faith is the loss of faith in the church in the power of the gospel. We don't believe it works anymore. True. And so we come up with all kinds of cool things to get people to come to church that are substitutes for the gospel. As I've said many times to my different friends, I'm not, a, I'm not an institution builder. I don't care about big institutions. I don't care about a big church. I'm a people builder. In other words, I care about people getting saved. I care about people growing in the faith. That's what I care about. And there's a lot of ways to build an organization. But I don't want us to build an organization. I want us to be used by God to build this church. And that means people coming to Christ in saving faith. So the question is, do we believe in the power of the gospel? I do. Do you? A couple people do, apparently. Got a couple amens. No, I, she laughs. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. You know, Spurgeon, uh, 
I read a story by Spurgeon where a young, young evangelist, he would encourage people to go out and preach in the streets. And all this. this guy came back and said, you know, I, I share, but nobody ever gets saved. And uh, he says, well, do you expect people to get saved? He said, he said well, not everyone. He says, well, that's why they're not getting saved. <laughs> You're not expecting them to get saved. You don't even have faith. So um, this, this is why Paul wasn't ashamed, because he knew it was the power of God. He experienced it in his own life. Let me read a couple more scriptures, then we'll close. Um, in um, 1 Timothy chapter 12, chapter 1, verse 12. <laughs> Laura caught me. Chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. Uh, that word insolent means violent. He was uh, mur- murderous. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus, excuse me, was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which, is, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Whoever for this, however, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul was the last person you would have thought was going to get saved. I mean, you understand? Paul's the kind of guy that if you were a Christian in the early church, you probably heard rumors about this guy. He was a bad dude. He was a Pharisee. And you read the Gospels, you see how the Pharisees as a group were so hostile to Jesus. They plotted Jesus' murder. I mean, these, are, these people are serious. Right? That was Paul. And he was con- as the church began to be persecuted, we read in the book of Acts, Paul was consenting. Paul was dragging people before the Sanhedrin. Paul was um, consenting to, to stoning. Paul was a bad guy. A blasphemer, he says. Insolent. Your, your version may be different. Uh, full of hubris, rage, and hatred for the gospel, for Jesus, and for the church. And yet that's the person God saved and then made an apostle. Now think of the guy at work that is the most obnoxious guy you can think of. No, I'm serious. Think of the guy that is, as you think about the people you work with, the person you think is least likely to ever get saved. That's the person you need to pray for and witness to. Because that's God's way. That's always been God's way. He takes the least and makes them the most. Don't look for the good religious person. Religious people are often the most difficult people to reach with the gospel. And in that sense, this ignorance we're now seeing, which has really been probably this past generation, which we've seen our society decline so much in other areas, this, it corresponds to the ignorance of the word. But this is a great opportunity now. Because we have people that don't have religious religion in their background. They don't have churchianity. 
A lot of times you have to overcome people's churchianity, whether it was Catholicism or Lutheranism or whatever they were. I was Catholic and my wife was Lutheran. We don't have to overcome that now because we're dealing with people that are essentially pagan. And I don't mean that as an insult. I mean it as a description of their worldview. Okay? That can actually be an advantage. So, no one is beyond the reach of the gospel. Whoever your, your, your obnoxious neighbor, your obnoxious co-worker, you, your boss who you think is unfair and, and unfit, doesn't matter. These people are objects of God's love, and I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. And, and, and what I love about this, this passage here in, in Timothy is Paul says this, he says in verse 15, he says, this is the faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And we, we read that and we, we focus on that last clause, of whom I am chief. Wow. But look what it says. Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. Are your co-worker sinners? The most obnoxious sinner is the one that God came to save. I've had people say to me, you know, I don't think Jesus died for everybody. And the, the, the answer is, is everybody a sinner? Yes or no? Jesus Christ came to save sinners. If someone is a sinner, then Christ came to save them. Now, will he? We don't know. But I know this, that people don't get saved apart from this. They don't get saved apart from the gospel. And so the only, the only way we know who's really elect is to preach the gospel to all and let God apply the word and the spirit and draw them into the kingdom. Grant them faith in the new birth. But it's not our job to presume that someone is, is unfit to be in the kingdom. Who are we? Who are we? Have you forgotten or do you not know your unfitness apart from Jesus Christ? I mean, it shows a profound lack of self-knowledge to think that we're better than other people apart from God's work in our life. To think that someone's unreachable, but I was reachable? Do we, do we understand the implications of that? I'm smarter, I'm better, I'm something? That's the implication. If I'm reachable, anybody's reachable. That's what Paul is saying. But it's true of all of us. Because we've all sinned and we all have fallen short of God's glory. Let us not, through our unbelief, keep people out of the kingdom. Whether it's unbelief to thinking it's somehow they're so bad that they could never be saved, and I think we believe that. Or somehow thinking that the gospel is not powerful enough to save that person. If, if the gospel can save Paul... It can save anyone. He was a murderer of Christians. This is like, you know, the guy in ISIS who just cut off a Christian's head getting saved. 
the gospel is the gospel for sinners, not just about sinners. Jesus came, said, I came to seek and to save the good people. Did he say that? I came to seek and to save the religious people. Did he say that? I came to seek and to save who? The lost. It's the sick who need a physician, not the well. So you go to the sick. Share the gospel with the sick. That's your neighbors. They might not know they're sick. You know, you can be sick for a long time. My, I, I had an uncle who died from cancer. I think he was probably, actually, maybe a little younger than me. He, fit, he felt fine. Fine. Great. Living fine. Going along with his life. Everything's fine. Started feeling lousy. So he went, he went to the hospital. A couple days later, he was dead. They cut him open. His entire, entire insides were covered with cancer. But he felt fine until a couple days, and they died. That's how people are. They feel fine. They think they're fine. But we know, because we have this, the word, which is like an x-ray. We can see inside. And we know they're sick. And if we had the love of God in our hearts, we would say, oh my gosh, this person is ill. I need to help them. I I need to apply the cure. The cure. I have the cure. So let, let us Christians, let us believers believe. Amen? And if we would begin to believe again in the gospel, that it truly is God's power, I believe God will honor that faith and we'll see people get saved. Amen? Now we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and the Lord's Supper is, is really a profession of your faith. The symbols are, are there to explain the gospel, to remind us of the gospel, the bread, his body, the wine, his blood, shed for our sins. If you believe enough to take the elements, then you should believe enough to preach the gospel. The gospel that saved you and made you fit for the table is the same gospel that you need to be sharing with family, friends, and co-workers. Did I share about Thanksgiving? So we had Thanksgiving at one of our relatives, and, and before the uh, four eight, I asked I asked the, the host if I could uh, share a few minutes. So I got up and there were about twenty five thirty people there, and I shared the gospel to relatives, and then I gave them uh, one of these one of these books, and some of them you know were giving me dirty looks and frowning, and oh well, that's okay. That's okay, right? We have all kinds of opportunities like that in our lives. And especially over the holidays, we have opportunities. You're going to see your family uh, more than you like. <laughs> Let's all be honest. More than you like over the next few weeks. You have opportunities to share Jesus Christ with those people. Let's take these opportunities. Let's share the gospel in love. Let's share it in faith, and then we will see God. We will see the power of God. Amen? The, if you believe, you can partake, because you're really professing the gospel. 
here today and um, really renewing, again, your faith and commitment to the Lord. So let's pray and then we'll take the elements. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you saved me. Me. A wretched sinner. Me. And I know that because you saved me, you can save anyone. Lord, um, remind us of the power of your gospel. Make your gospel powerful in our lives by giving us victory in our lives. But Lord, I pray that we would share the gospel in faith, believing. And as we do, Lord, we would see your power manifested. I believe, God, that you want to use us to reach many souls. I have no doubt about it. No doubt. If we will just apply simple faith and obedience, that's all you ask. It's not our ability, it's our availability. So, Lord, I pray that you would use us to bring others to you. And I pray in your name. Amen.